everybody, I'm Kendall. I was just going to read uh, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11 for us. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him and by baptism into death. Into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died of the sin once, and that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming together today and letting us hear your word and hear our pastor speak. And we just pray that you have each of us die unto you, die on the cross with you, Father. Mm-hmm. We pray that you bring us into newness of life through your rebirth yes. and into raising of the dead, Father. I pray that you give Brandon your spirit and you let him speak to us and that we can all hear a truth today that helps us raise that new man and helps us serve you and to be better obedient servants unto you, Father. Let's praise your holy name and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. Good morning. I see some faces I don't recognize. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. I'd like to meet some of you before you leave. So, so if you're here visiting, I want to make sure that I get a chance to say hello. Make sure you don't take off before I say hi, okay? Um, we are going to be in Romans chapter 6. Now, let's just all establish right now that uh, allergies are a demonic force. Yeah? And uh, many of you are suffering from oppression um, that, is, that is not right. And so uh, let's see if we can't get through the fog of allergy season in order to focus our hearts a little bit. Um, so are we ready to do that? I'm, I'm very excited uh, for what God has uh, for us this morning. Last time we came together, we talked about um, this, uh, this, this topic that was posed by the Jewish leaders in, uh, in Rome. Okay? And uh, the question that, that, that is being addressed in Paul's letter is something to the effect of, should people who are Christians, should people who are saved, who've been accepted in Jesus Christ, should they be allowed to live a lifestyle of sin? See, it already sounds strange, doesn't it? So that God's grace will be more dramatically displayed in their lives. Now, as a New Testament Christian, when we read that question, uh, we think of that as being a very absurd, uh, absurd thought, don't we? Um, as people who have a completed word of God, okay, as people who are 2,000 years removed from the early church, when we read this question, we think to ourselves that it's strange that some, anyone would ask the question, is it okay for me to sin? Don't we? I mean, I, I don't think any of us would ask that question. I don't, I don't think anybody has come to me after a service and said, but, but Brandon, um, shouldn't it be okay to sin 
Because when we sin, like when I fornicate, uh, not only is it awesome, uh, but, uh, but isn't God's grace more on display when he forgives me after I've messed up a bunch, right? No one's ever done that, okay? And the reason is because, well, we know better, uh, at least intellectually. And so for us, we're just like, we're so, um, you know, smart that we don't ever bridge that issue. But the funny thing about it is, we, we live in a way that assumes this to be true in our lives, don't we? Don't we tempt God by being hypocrites all the time? By saying in our hearts that it's okay for us to sin, that God's got my back. And, and so we play and we tamper with sin and we go out and, and, and we, um, we tiptoe along the, the line that we know that we shouldn't cross and we walk closely to it knowing that there's an, there's a, there's an aspect for which there's a chance we might fall in to sin, right? And we play this game with God. And so the question that, that is posed to him, Paul responds uh, in a very, a very interesting way. He says, God forbid. He says, God forbid. God forbid that you would think this way. No way. That sin is not an option for someone who calls themselves Christian. It's not an option. It's not on the table. But the powerful part about his message is that he doesn't go into a diatribe uh, or expound on a series of rules and regulations, right? He doesn't demand perfection or some sort of militaristic devotion, does he? We don't see that in the passage. He doesn't, he doesn't create a prescription for what it means to live right, right? What does he say? What does he say? He says, this is what you've been delivered from. This is no longer who you are. See, he knows that what we need isn't another list of rules and laws, that's not what we need. What we need to do is rest in the fact that God has set us free from our sin. We have to acknowledge the fact that salvation in and of itself is us being delivered from the bondage of our old man. And if we have the ability given to us to live sinless, then we ought to live that way. We ought to yield our members to that. God, God knows that what we need isn't laws, but to be set free. What we need is the Spirit. What we need is the Word. See, He's endowed into Christians liberty from sin. He's given it to us. It's His gifting. is liberty and freedom from sin so that our primary occupation might be the Gospel. Now, now picture for a, a moment now uh, a person who's concerned so much with following the rules and regulations and the expectations of God that their whole focus is staying within the lines. That's not what God has called us to. We can't be preoccupied with staying within the lines. So what he's done is he's set us free from the bondage of sin so that we can be preoccupied with the giving of the gospel that we might have liberty to move around this world and share with other people the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. See, we're not like the other religions. Let me explain this to you. We're not like the other religions. Our primary focus of our faith is not to follow a set, a set of laws and rules. Our primary focus is living in the liberty of Jesus Christ, set free to do His work. That's the only reason why your heart is beating. It's the only reason why you have a breath this morning. Is that you might live out that mission. 
And if you're so preoccupied with your flesh, guess what? You're still in bondage. And so God wants to set us free. And so Paul teaches us this. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. If you find yourself dead uh, dead to this world, then you are set free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We are alive unto him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Does death have dominion over Jesus Christ? Is he he bound by death? Of course not. And the same thing is true for us. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's our key point to begin with today. Are you ready for some key points? Have you gotten used to the key point thing yet? Okay, so if you don't write anything down, Write down the key points and their verse references. Okay, so along with here, along here with verse 11, what we learn is key point number one is dead to sin and alive to Christ is the identity of every believer. That is your identity. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. There's two parts to your identity. You are not bound to your flesh. It does not rule and reign over you. The temptations of this world do not own you. You do not belong. You no longer belong to your old father, Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world. You no longer belong to him. You're dead to that. And you're made alive to Christ. And that is your identity. It isn't a matter of what you do or what you have done or what you don't do. As much as who you have been made to be. Right? Who have you been made to to be? You've been made to be dead to this world and alive to Christ. We don't have to sin because we are no longer sinners. You understand? When When God looks down from heaven and he sees your face, he doesn't see all the stuff that you did. He doesn't even see the failures of today. What he sees is a blood bought believer set free from the bondage of this world. So even when we sin, we are not sinners. He doesn't see us that way. And what that means is that though we may sin, it is no longer our predilection to do so because sin doesn't own us. Sin can't own a dead man. You understand? Just the same way that a a, a man in a casket at a funeral can no longer be an alcoholic. Right? Right? I mean, the man in the casket is is dead to his alcoholism. It no longer rules over him. He's no longer, gossip isn't a concern, and backbiting is not a concern for the person who is no longer alive, correct? Well, I'm a living example of that very truth. Sin does not own me. I'm not chained to it. It's no longer my predilection. My predilection is to do the work and the will of, of God. And the only way I can do that is to be set free and to be no longer chained to those things. Our freedom is newness of life, and that comes with a kingdom, uh, with kingdom-minded ambitions. Now, because of this, we can't afford to slide back. We can't afford to slide back, because our kingdom-minded ambitions should keep us from that track, right? 
And so verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Okay, so what he's saying is, now because of all those things are true, let me give you a charge. Let me give you a charge here. He says, let not sin therefore, Christian, because sin can still reign over you if you let it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye, ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Live like you're alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now here's, here, here's key point two. So you ready? Key point two. Identity and reality are two different things for the unyielded believer. Just because your identity is dead from dead to sin and alive to Christ doesn't mean that's necessarily your reality on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of us in this room are still living day-to-day to the bondage of our old man, the carnal way, the fleshliness of our thoughts. The things that we struggled with 10 years ago might still be the things that you struggle with today. And the reason is because you haven't, you haven't bridged the gap between your identity who God's called you to be, and who you actually are on a day-to-day basis. Does that make sense? And that's where some of us live. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so what Paul's saying in Ephesians here is this, that you still have this old nature. That as long as you live in this world, you still have flesh, right? And even if you are set free from sin, and your predilection is to do the the will of God, you still have something in your life that's tugging and pulling you back to the old man, don't you? Does anybody recognize that about themselves? And it only takes a moment for you to switch back into the carnal man. It doesn't take much to pull us back into that place. It doesn't take much temptation to get us into a place where we have neglected the kingdom and God's will and we're once again fixated on our own personal desires and ambitions. It's an easy switch to make. And so what we're going to learn about in today's message is how do we escape our carnal nature so that we are free to do God's will? And what does it mean to be submitted to Christ so that our life personifies his aims and not our own? Are we ready? I'm going to pray again. Can you do that? Can you do that with me? Yeah? Lots of praying this morning. Praying is talking to God. We should do it at every opportunity. So let's pray. I might just stop in the middle of the message and do it again if I feel like it. All right? Yeah, amen. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we are thankful for you. We are thankful for the fact that that as a Christian, because because you gave your life for me, I have the ability to give you my life. And when I do that, that's called salvation. But yet, again, there's also this reality, God, that every day I have to continue to yield my life to you. If I'm going to truly be your servant, if I'm going to follow you all the days of my life, God, I need your Holy Spirit and I need your word to empower me 
to be the person I'm supposed to be, to be evangelical, to have a life that, that is a testimony of, of, of transformation. Lord, in, in order to love my family right, to love my wife right, my children, to love this flock, this group of people, to love them rightly, it's going to require in me sanctification, which is also just yielding myself to you to follow you. And so God, I just ask that you would help us today understand the discipline required in being your servant. And that, 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 that God, you desire for us, you've set us free and you've done all these things, given us access to you, given us the ability to come to you, just like I'm doing right now, Lord, that I can come before you at any moment and speak to you and I can hear your voice and you empower me and you move me and you motivate me. God, I, I don't want to waste that. So help me, God. And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's message is called Yielding to Righteousness. We're going to pick it up here in verse 15. <clears throat> and Paul says, what then? What then? Shall we, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Or, sh or shall we sin? Sorry, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So he reiterates this question that we found at the beginning of the chapter, right? He reiterates it here in order to approach it from another direction. Paul circles around and he repeats the question. Shall we sin because of grace? Shall we, is it okay for us to sin because of grace? And again, he responds, God forbid. Verse 16. Know ye not, there's that word again. Know ye not. So Paul is saying, listen carefully. Here is the authoritative truth. I'm about to give it to you. I'm about to give you a sober word. It's going to require you focusing Know ye not, okay, this is something that we don't know that we need to catch, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Okay, key point number three. Are we ready? Whom you choose to yield, whom you choose to yield your will to, is the person that you're obligated to obey. Whoever you yield to, whatever you yield to, whatever you think, thing that you have in your life, you choose to yield yourself to, guess what? You are obligated to obey. So the word yield here means to place yourself at the disposal of. Okay, and I love how he says it. It's like, it's, it's simple logic, isn't it? So we all read that. We're like, okay, that's so straightforward. Who you yield yourself to is, is, what, is what is the entity, is the object that you are going to be tied to to serve. So even though it seems like simple logic, it's something that we have a very hard time remembering and recognizing. That what is it that we yield to? That's going to own our butt. We're accountable to that thing. And he just says it so clearly. But isn't that true in terms of our personal life? That what we yield to ends up owning us? If we yield ourselves to our job and we prioritize it as the number one thing in our lives, it's only a matter of time before, before we look around and we're like, crap, I just worked 70 hours this week. And I haven't read the word. And my focus hasn't been on Christ. And here I am, 
I wanted this job. I desired it. I thought God gave it to me. But because I yielded myself to it and I made it the priority, it owns me. It now owns me. We do this with school too, don't we? Especially around finals time. Like some of you aren't good at this, actually. You don't prioritize school at all, and that's a shame, and that's a whole other message. But my point is, is this: like some of us get so wrapped up, we're so fixated on our degree or achievement that we get our lives all wrapped up in our schooling or whatever it might be, whatever that ambition is. And it's only a matter of time before you recognize that you're serving that thing. And it began as a simple yielding. It's like just walking alongside it. It's just uh, acknowledging that it's important. It began there, and in time, it owned you. And perhaps it's a a yielding to an identity. Right? Perhaps it's yielding to an identity. Maybe it's an identity as an artist. Right? We have lots of artists in here. Maybe it's just associating yourself so closely with the idea of being an artist and being a creative that you allow the, the aspects of what that lifestyle means to affect you in a way that pretty soon your life is being conformed to the image of artist. Maybe it's a construction worker or a Royals fan. I mean, it's easy to be a Royals fan when they're winning. There's a lot of Royals fans who've come out of the woodwork. <laughs> right? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the fact that you're married or single. Maybe it's, maybe it's homosexuality. Maybe it's your heterosexuality. Maybe it's that, that, you're, that you're a particular, uh, of a particular inclination culturally. What is it that, that you, have, you know you're inclined to prioritize and yield to in terms of identity? Whatever it is, that thing has the potential of swallowing you up and making you a servant to it. This is the way idolatry has always worked. If you read the Old Testament, a lot of times what you see is you see men and women creating idols in the Old Testament with the intent that that thing might serve them. Isn't that the way fertility gods work? Right? We, we think about these different gods that serve different purposes. Maybe it's the god of harvest, or, or maybe it's the god of the sun. And they create this thing with the intent that it does something for me. It yields something for me. Right? It's created out of selfishness. But in time... People always find themselves being owned by that God. And they fall prey, basically, to the destruction that comes with serving that thing. And the same thing is true with us, even if it's as simple as what I like to do on my Fridays. What I like to do with my Saturday mornings. How I spend my time is no different than erecting Baal. If you, if you yield yourself to it, it has the potential to becoming your God and making you a servant. An example of this is a student that I had in high school who I invested a lot of, of my personal time in. A person that I was discipling. Okay? And, and, and this guy, he, with his words, he told me and acknowledged that he wanted to follow the Lord. Like, like everything in his actions um, would say, look, I, I want to follow God and could you teach me how to do that? But, but all along the way, this young man was also saying um, that he wanted to be a musician. And he, and he was saying this with desperation. Like, what he really wanted to be identified with was not the fact that he was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but that he was going to be a musician and he was going to make his way. Now, in my mind, when I always thought about him, I, th- I thought about him fo- uh, like fondly as, oh, that's cute. Right? 
And I thought about him as a poser, uh, really. We use that term really in a derogatory way. But poser just means someone who's pretending at being something. But in time, when he, when he yielded himself to all the things that that meant, in time, what he became was a musician. And he started playing shows and going to the bars and uh, meeting people and networking and uh, went to school to, to do uh, music. And, like, and his primary focus became that thing. And it was only a matter of time that that thing that he was simply yielding himself came and claimed him. And I've always said that. You, you, can, you pose at something for a while. For a season, you might be posing. But a poser always becomes what they're posing to be. They always will. And if you set yourself up to yield to certain things, an identity, a purpose, a striving, in time, that thing is going to come back and it's going to claim you. And you will serve it. And so we have to be very careful and we need to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we're tempted to yield ourselves to that is not Jesus Christ? And we need to be aware of those things. So ask yourself that question. What is it in your life that you personally are tempted to that you need to recognize? It might not even be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. But it's a temptation to yield yourself to it so that you're serving it instead of Jesus Christ. We need to be sober as it concerns the things that we spend our time doing and focusing on. Does that make sense to everyone? Verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. See, for those who turn away from their worship uh, from their worship and turn to the worship of the Lord, when the worship of the world is put away, okay, and they turn to focus on Jesus Christ, that person's set free, and we have the ability to, to thank God for that deliverance. It says, But God be thanked for what he did in my life. Because you were the servants of sin, but but we decided to obey the Lord and obey with our heart that form of doctrine that God delivered to us, we were given the ability to be set free from it. So let's look at this verse a little bit closer. Form of doctrine. When one accepts Jesus Christ, they must receive the form of, of, of doctrine that was presented to them. Look what it says. It says, But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. God be praised. The, the, the truth of the gospel was delivered to you. It came to you. you. You weren't seeking it out. You were seeking your own ambitions. It came to you. It was delivered to you. It was presented to you. And you had the ability to respond to it. So without a command, how is it that someone can yield? Right? The message has to come first. The truth has to be presented to us before we can yield ourselves to it. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall we call on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Did I just say that? Did I just read that? Let me start again. Verse 14 at the top. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear with, uh, without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. 
and bring glad tidings of good things. I need just to get my eyes checked. So what that's saying is, thank God for the messengers that came into our lives to tell us the truth. Thank goodness for the deliverers, the ones who delivered, like Paul, who came and delivered the message to people that they might be delivered from sin. Thank God for those people. Who are those people in your life? Are you thanking God for them? Who are those people that have come and interjected themselves into your lives with the gospel of peace? It's not always easy to hear, right? Sometimes it's painful. But thank God for them. Because, because they delivered a message to you, you've been delivered from sin. Thank God for them. And that message is crucial. Because without the message, one can't change. One can't yield. One can't obey from the heart. Because there's nothing to obey absent that message. And for those of us who right now are praying about evangelism and are fixing our attention on, on who it is in our lives that we need to share the gospel with, isn't that a focus? I hope that's a focus in your life right now because we've been talking about it a lot. If you don't deliver that message, then you are not personally giving that person or those people an opportunity to respond with obedience from the heart. You understand the weight of that? You have responsibility. God's given you responsibility in this mission. Well, God's sovereign. He's got it. I'll just pray about it. Shame on you for neglecting the fact that God has given you a message to take to people. It's your responsibility. Now, it says uh, in verse 17, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now, I want to I pause right here for a second. The heart gets a bad rap. Doesn't it? When people start talking, Christians start talking about the heart, what's the first thing, that, at least in this culture, I've noticed it a lot since I've been in Kaya. What is it that people usually say when we start talking about the heart? Right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, that's a great, that's a great little verse for a bunch of people who are young and have a tendency to obey their flesh, and when their, when their heartstrings get pulled, follow whatever way the world takes them. Like, that's a good verse, and it's absolutely true. But we often associate the heart with being wicked, but wickedness, but the wickedness of the heart is def- defined by its yieldedness to God. It's only wicked if it's not yielded to the Father. See, this is true of the tongue too, isn't it? Don't we read that in James, right? This idea that how, how can we have a, a mouth and a tongue that sweetness and bitterness can come out of the same fountain, right? It's this, it's this uh, the thing about our flesh is that it can go one of two ways, depending on what it's yielded to. So there's nothing wrong with feeling and emotion. There's nothing wrong with tying your heart to things as long as it's tied to the right things. As long as it's being tied in obedience to God. Proverbs 10.20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver, good. And the heart of the wicked is little worth. Okay, so in that verse, the tongue can be good. But the heart can be bad, right? But Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Oh, the heart is good. 
But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Oh, bad. The mouth is bad. I mean, and unless you know how to read your Bible and compare Scripture to Scripture, one day you might think that your heart, your heart is wicked, and the next day you might think that your heart is, is wonderful. But the truth that Scripture is giving us is that what you yield your heart to and determine that it's going to obey, that's going to be what it obeys. Big surprise. You will end up serving the thing that you tie your heart to. Now, for me, I'm going to tie my heart to Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can tie my heart to Jesus Christ is to study his face. If I forget who Jesus Christ is by neglecting the word, neglecting the preaching, neglecting the fellowship with other believers, guess what? My heart is going to be untied from God and it will be retied to whatever else I want to yield my life to. Right? That's going to be what happens. The passions and the emotions of the heart are yielded to obeying God, then they become instruments of righteousness. So what, well, let's, let's look at this even cl- more closely. When we obeyed, the very first time we obeyed with our heart to follow Jesus Christ, that was called the day of salvation. For you, th- what that meant was, oh, the, the truth has been delivered to me. I recognize now that Jesus Christ came from heaven died for my sins and was raised again to defeat death. And because of that, I am going to tie my heart to that truth. I am going to obey him. And even when I don't feel like it, even when my emotion isn't there, I'm saying, I'm dead to me. I follow you, God. Now that was probably a very emotional decision for you at some level. But it was also probably a a very intellectual one. You said, no, I'm determining now. I'm going to follow God. I'm determining to do that. That is who we need to be daily. We need to obey with our heart. Just like Sam was saying, it's, guys, it's not, when you see parallels between these two messages, right? When you see on a Sunday morning and you hear Sam saying one thing and you hear it again in here, that is not an accident. You understand? And so what Sam was saying about when he disciplines his children, what is it, what is it that he, he was saying? He was saying that he wants them to obey the first time Every time with a, okay, why the happy heart part? Because I, I get the first two parts, obey me every time. No, the last part is crucial with a happy heart. Why? Because he understands the truth that if I don't have my child's heart and they don't understand wh- where it is that I'm coming from and they don't, they don't know who I am to them, and they don't understand my purpose, then when it comes time for me to not be around, they will not continue in the faith and they will not continue in obedience because their heart will be somewhere else. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, For as ye have yielded your members servant to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Once upon a time you were were yielded in your sin to unrighteousness. But in this new identity, you're free from sin and now you're a servant to righteousness. See, there's a once upon a time and then there's there's a now is. You were yielded Servants to uncleanness. Even so, now yield your members 
servants to righteousness. Do you see the choice there? Check this out. When you belong to Satan, you had no choice but to be a slave to uncleanness. Did you, did you know that? But if you look at this passage and the way that Paul phrases it, what he's saying is that now you have a choice. You can still go back to uncleanness. God's given you that freedom. It's free will. You've got the choice. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Key point number four. If you are a servant of righteousness, then it isn't even in your personage to be in bondage to your old sinful life. It's not even in you. Right? It's not who, what God's called you to be, but yet he gives you the liberty to do that. When you sin and you set your servanthood in opposition to God, the Bible calls this backsliding. You guys familiar with that term? Backsliding. When we set ourselves, when we're Christians and we follow the Lord and we, and we, and we call ourselves Christian, he's saved us from our sins, but yet we choose to go backwards, that's called backsliding. And this, this makes you a walking contradiction. And at the end of the day, it will only harm you. It will only ha- harm you. Right? Being a walking contradiction will only end up getting you into a place where you shouldn't be. It will only lead you to destruction. Verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were... Uh, when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you were in bondage to sin, you were free from righteousness. You were free to do whatever you wanted. In many ways, can you guys acknowledge the fact that it was easier as a lost person? Like, to just, because you could do whatever you wanted, right? You could, you could hang out with who you wanted. You could pursue the things you wanted to pursue. It was easier as a lost man. You know why? It's because you were free from righteousness. Because righteousness wasn't pulling you. It didn't have your heart. Verse 21. What fruit had ye in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For, for the end of those things is death. The only thing that comes from being a walking contradiction is death. Now Sam talked to, today about this idea of chastisement. How God is faithful to chastise those that he loves. And he talked about this idea of going home. Right? right? Like I actually had to do this yesterday. My son was throwing a fit at soccer. The, the coach made him play for a team he didn't want to play for. You know when, like, when you were a kid, there was only four kids that showed up on the other team, but your team had like eight? And so the coach would be like, all right, I need you to be mature right now, and you just switch your jersey, and you're going to play for the other team. And so they asked my five-year-old son to do that, and he didn't want to. And he tried. And he threw a fit, and I took him home. That happened just yesterday. Okay? So it was that whole birthday party scenario that Sam painted that actually played out yesterday in my life. <clears throat> now, when he talks about that, I think about my brother. And some of you know this and some of you don't. My brother died in 2005. Okay? Um, I was 22. Okay? He was, he was just about to turn 20. Now, my brother lived a contradictory life. He was saved by grace. He followed the Lord at times. And then he followed his flesh at times. And this was the struggle of essentially his entire adolescence and on. That, that, was, that was who he was. He was really defined by his contradictory lifestyle. 
Well, he would say that he's a Christian. He would tell his friends that, but yet he would smoke weed with them later that night. Right? He would say, he would give the gospel, actually. He would give the gospel to people that he loved because he loved their souls, but then later that night, you know, all bets were off. And what happened was exactly what we talked about. My brother uh, drove through a checkpoint. Um, he didn't have his license at the time. And in his mind, he thought the smartest thing to do was to try to escape the police. And so he hit the gas, and he drove, and he hit a tree, and he died. And God took him home. He didn't have to die. He didn't have, he didn't have to be, that didn't have to be the story. But it was, you know why? Because God wants to deal with him on the, other, on the other side. And the point of this ties right back into here very, very specifically. If you choose to live a lifestyle that is not yielded to the Lord, but yet you belong to him, the only path that that leads to is destruction. There's nowhere else to go. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you work 70 hours a week, guess what? Your life will not be satisfactory, and you will end up pursuing things that you shouldn't be pursuing, and eventually you will live a defeated, uh, unfruitful and destructive life to me, which sounds way that sounds way worse to me than dying. Actually, is living a pointless life. I'd much rather die. It's just as destructive to live a pointless life. And so, my point to you is this: deciding who it is that you're going to yield to is crucial. Every single day. What has what has um, yielding? to wickedness and to sin ever gained you? Any time that you've chosen to pursue the wrong thing, has it ever brought satisfaction? Never has. And you know, I, I used to hear Eric says this all the time. It's like one of Eric's got a few phrases that he says a lot. Eric Phillips, he just walked out, so I don't have any problem talking about him. <clears throat> he, he says this phrase a lot. He says, no person, he's never heard a person say that they regret following Jesus. He's never heard, a per- and that's not, the older you get, the more impressive that becomes. He's only 34, I think, so that's just kind of impressive. When he gets to be 60 and he's saying that, and that is the truth, that he's never met a person who regrets following Jesus Christ, the power of that, it's so true, isn't it? There's not a day of my life where I've regretted following Jesus, but you have to yield yourself to him daily because you might incidentally find yourself yielded to the wrong thing. Let's close with verse 22 and 23. Are we ready? But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That means that what you've spent your life earning was death. And the only place that you could go was to the path of death. But when you chose Jesus Christ and you obeyed from the heart to follow after him and you made a decision that he was going to be your Lord, well, that's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that changed your identity forever. Now, there's some of us in this room who have never experienced the life-changing power of yielding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some in here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you were to die today, 
you would spend eternity separated from him. And so what this verse means for you is that please acknowledge that your sin means death. God will have no wickedness in his presence. He will not accept anyone that has not been justified in his sight. You don't get to just get into heaven because, you know, you did a bunch of good things. Because you followed some rules. You followed some regulations. Some, some moral code that you put in place because you lived after that. That does not equal favor in God's sight. He will only have those who are spotless before him. And the only way you can be made spotless is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And then you can be dead to sin and alive to God. And some of us need to make that decision today. And as we close and as we worship, the worship team can come up, you need to make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus Christ. You need to grab the person that you came with or, or maybe the person that you know can help you. Just grab them and talk to them about this very thing. But here, this, this, falls in, this is for most of you in this room who are saved, who are Christians. This is the story for you. Okay, this is how we're going to end. There's these guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Okay, the story goes like this. The evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, erects an idol of himself that he wants everyone to bow down to and worship. And the law says this. He creates a law, and the law says this. It says, if you don't bow down and worship this idol, we're going to kill you. We are going to kill you. And so... At the time of prayer, everybody bows down, and these three men who are followers of God have something else to say about it. And they refuse to worship the idol. They refuse to yield themselves to that false god. They refuse to do that. And the outcome for them in the immediate was that they were thrown into a fiery furnace. That was the result. But listen. And the funny thing is, a lot of us are afraid of what we might lose if we actually choose to yield ourselves to God and refuse the yielding to the false gods of our life. Many of us in this room cannot imagine what it is that we might have to give up to actually follow Jesus. There's things that you're holding on to that are keeping you from actually giving yourself to him wholeheartedly. What is it that you're holding on to? See, these men counted their lives as meaningless and worthless in light of doing the right thing. See, for them, yielding was everything. See, it would have been real easy for them to just blend in. See, they could have just followed God and bowed down to that idol. And you know what? Many people wouldn't have known any different, but God would have known. And that was enough for them. God knows your heart. What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that's tempting you? What false idol have you propped up in your life that's pulling your faith away and is causing you to obey with your heart something else? Daniel 3.28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, this is after the men survived the fiery furnace. They go in there. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, looks in. He sees four men standing there, not three. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stood with them in the midst of the fire. And they survived. And this is his response. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word. They literally altered the fabric of the culture around them by choosing to yield themselves to God. Listen to what it says. They changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. This is who we have to be. If we're going to change the culture, 
If we're going to go into the world and give the gospel, and it's going to mean anything at all, if it's going to have the potency that it needs, you've got to make a decision to not be a walking contradiction, to yield yourself to the Son of God and obey from a good heart. This is who we have to be. And we've got to make that decision this morning as we close. Do not leave here until you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with everything that you have. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact uh, that you've spoken so clearly in Romans chapter 6 about this issue of what it is that we, we tie ourselves to in obedience. God, I don't want to obey anything except you. And you've told me not, not to have any other false idols, any other identity outside your son, Jesus Christ. And I, so I don't want that. So God, again, I just determine in my heart right now that I'm going to be what you've called me to be. I'm going to rest in you. And so God, this morning I pray for anyone in this room who's not yet made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, that they would do that this morning. That they would recognize that today is the day of salvation. That, that, that this afternoon, that if they don't make this decision, they'll just find themselves yielding themselves to the television set or yielding themselves to a boyfriend or to a girlfriend. And they'll preoccupy themselves with things that will own them. God, we want you to own us. You own our lives. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that he might purchase to him a bride. God, you've purchased my very soul. And so, God, for that, I, I, I yield myself to you. And so, God... For everyone in this room this morning, I pray that you would help them also to yield. During the invitation, Lord, would you pr provoke them to pray and to call upon you in repentance? I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.